I wonder what your word of the year would be. Yes, we are beginning to get to that stage where we are looking back over the year and pondering what has been and and reflecting on it. What word would you choose to sum up this year? Now, don't worry, I'm not going to ask for examples. We're not just going to do the free association game and get you to shout out your answers because that could get a little messy because 2022 has not been the easiest of years. Um, You may know that every year Collins Dictionary choose their own decision as to what the word of the year is. Uh, Does anyone know what their choice for 2022 was? It was just announced this last week. No one confident enough. Well, you, maybe, maybe, you'll, maybe you'll get it when I tell you. Permacrisis. That ring any bells? Permacrisis is their word. Hands up if you've never heard the word permacrisis. <laughs> yeah, which a lot of you, which strikes me as a little bit of a problem. If it's a word of the year, it seems to me that most people should know what it is. Um, in fact, my Microsoft Word document when I was typing up my notes did that annoying little red line every time I wrote the word permacrisis, and I did not add it to my dictionary in an act of courageous defiance. I, I thought, um, so what does permacrisis mean? No, we're not talking about 80s heavy metal band haircuts. Uh, here's how they define permacrisis, an extended period of instability and insecurity, especially one resulting from a series of catastrophic events. And they have an accompanying blog that they wrote to this decision that they landed on, and they reference a number of things. They reference the ongoing aftermath uh, after the pandemic, the war in Ukraine, climate crises, political instability, the cost of living crisis, and other things as well. And I, I don't know how you respond to that idea of a permacrisis. I'm sure in a room of this number of people, there would be varying reactions to this idea. Maybe for some, it captures exactly how you're feeling. Feeling heavy and beat down and struggling and yeah, yeah, this has been a year of permacrisis. Maybe for others, you react against any narrative that would speak to like a permanent sense of doom and gloom. Of course, the problem is if, if that's you, then that can become your own kind of permacrisis, that you're frustrated at the way things are characterized all the time and you get worked up about that. Now, certainly, there are very real challenges facing the world just now. I had the joy of uh, meeting the new head of Compassion Scotland. So you'll remember Don Essen, who's been here a few times. Well, uh, Rachel Johns has taken over from Don there. And she was just highlighting just the, the huge challenges that remain uh, after a really difficult pandemic season that still remain for the, many of the countries where Compassion works. She shared the example of how in Rwanda, uh, historically 80% of the grain that Rwanda has imported has come from Ukraine and the real struggles that they're going to face in light of what's happening there. And of course, as well as what is going on across the world, we all individually in our communities, families, and friends have our own crises to navigate at various points. And maybe you're in the midst of of a time like that just now. It's better to acknowledge the challenges that we face rather than to act like everything is, is fine when it's not. But dear friends, there is hope today. It's what we've been celebrating. The hope that we have in Jesus as we've celebrated Kirsten's baptism. That, that celebration is only 
so powerful because we're trying to be real about the scale and the depth of the problem that there is. That image of, of Kirsten going down into the water speaks of her dying to her old way before then rising to new life with Jesus. That hope that we have is so precious in light of something that is a huge problem in our world today. A huge problem that Jesus in this passage in John 8 is very honest and stark about. There's a problem, a, a crisis, if you will, that Jesus wants to highlight in John chapter 8. And it's a, it's a crisis which is very much broadly ignored in the culture in which we live. But if we're willing to be honest, search our hearts and to look around, we will see that it's all around us. And more pressingly, if we're willing to admit it, we see it in our own lives. And this crisis that I'm speaking of, that Jesus highlights in this passage, is that of slavery to sin. Slavery to sin. Now, that's a heavy phrase. And of course, it's a heavy reality. But what hope there is today. This is no permacrisis. Let's just read some of these words again. We'll read from verse 31 of John 8. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is, that you say, how is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you. A few times in this passage, Jesus says, truly, truly. It just means listen up. This is important. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I wonder how you respond to this idea that we are slaves to sin. First of all, we have to ask, what on earth does that mean? To sin is to act in rebellion against God and His ways. It's to reject the way of the beautiful, ju just, true kingdom and rule of God, and to choose our way over His. And to be a slave of sin is to recognize that this isn't just about doing the odd wrong thing. I think everyone would admit that. Yeah, I, I'm not perfect, you know, but with the sort of shrug of the shoulders. Yeah, no one's perfect, but, but, you know, that's not what Jesus is getting at here. To be a slave to sin means that you're trapped by the power of sin, not able to break free from the harmful thoughts, harmful actions and attitudes that you have that stand in opposition to God and His ways. It means that you're held in captivity, both spiritually and then in how that plays out in the reality of day-to-day -day life. We see this in verse 34. He says, everyone who practices sin, so there's this day-to-day -day reality of, of the actions that we get involved in, which are against the way that God would have us live. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So there's this day-to-day -day reality, but there's this spiritual truth from which these actions and attitudes and behaviors come. Now, that idea 
that it's beyond just, yeah, no one's perfect, I do the odd thing here and there. That idea that we're slave to sins, that is not universally accepted. Indeed, when we think of this passage here, the people that Jesus was speaking to were not at all happy about this accusation. In verse 32, Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And they don't just say, thank you, Jesus, for the freedom that you're offering me. They're like, "Uh, yeah, thanks for that. But just so you know, we are already free. Thanks, Jesus. We've got this impressive family line, they say, all the way back to Father Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. You know, let's forget about the Egyptians. Uh, Let's forget about that time we were occupied and carried off to Babylon and our temple was taken and our land was taken. And um, yeah, let's forget about the fact that the Romans are in our land just now and they're kind of governing how we live just now. Let's just not speak about that. You see, despite the reality, they did not want to admit that they were trapped, enslaved. They wanted people to know they're free. They're fine. And of course, is this not the case in our world as well? You know, yeah, okay. Of course, I do the odd wrong thing, but there's nothing fundamentally wrong here in what's going on in my heart. I might do the odd less than ideal thing, but I'm not a bad person, so to speak. Let's just brush that temper under the carpet or those jealous thoughts that I have again and again or my propensity to eat or drink too much or the wrong thoughts I have about people in my mind or the sense of despair and hopelessness I live with or the self-righteousness that I live with. You know, never mind the fact that these things come up again and again and again and again. Don't tell me I'm a slave to anyone or to anything. I think that is often the reaction when we would speak and try and tell people the truth of what Jesus says here, that anyone who sins is a slave to sin. Wouldn't like it. Wouldn't like it. Now, Jesus addresses it head on. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So on, on, on one In one way here, we just have to either submit to what Jesus is saying or reject what Jesus is saying. Because this is the brutal but realistic reality that the Scriptures lay before us. We're not just people who need a little bit of help here and there, but we're trapped. We're enslaved. We're in captivity. We need to be set free. In fact, as we've already heard and reflected on today, the scriptures say that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We need new life. We need Jesus, resurrection life. Now, I think if we're honest, we know this deep down in our hearts. We know that we have more of a problem than just a little slip up. Here and there, we know we're in more trouble than that. We know that our hearts are darker than that. And I love that we can be honest about this week by week, day by day in this community of faith here in Jesus Church. This is a place where we can say no to the lies of the culture, that we're fine, that we're in control, that we can be the judge and arbiter of what is just and true and right and good. That's a lie. And the mess of this culture 
and the incredible increasing division that there is in almost every way in this culture proves that point. And Jesus points in these verses to the one who loves to spread these lies around. No big deal. There's no slavery, no captivity here, no big deal. Jesus says there is someone who is spreading these lies around. Speaking of the devil, he says in verse 44, he says, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Dear friends, don't believe the lie that we're perfectly free or that we can be in our own capacity or our own ideas, our own strength. For how many centuries has humanity been living under this lie that if we just try hard enough or think hard enough or, or follow the right set of philosophies and plans and rules and structures, then we'll all be okay. An embrace of the good news today requires that we're honest about the depth of the issue, just as Kirsten has been in her life. She's been honest about that reality. And we need to be as well. We're trapped. We're enslaved, even dead in our sin. But Jesus came that we might be free. And it's the truth about Jesus that sets us free. Look at verse 31 again. If you abide in my word, Jesus said, you're truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's in knowing the truth about Jesus that we are set free, not just in a sort of thin belief in Jesus. Jesus is saying all of this, as it says in verse 31, he's saying this to those who had believed in him, it seemed. But in this passage, it comes, becomes clear that whatever belief they had in Jesus, it wasn't that life-changing embrace of who Jesus was. And here, Jesus is flagging the depth of what it really looks like to know him and to believe in him. This is about, as it says in verse 31, abiding in Jesus' word. That is embracing the totality of what we learn about who Jesus is, holding on to that teaching through good times and bad, getting to know more about who Jesus is day by day, week by week. As a family, we've been going through the Gospels again, and even though I've read the Gospels for many, many years, more than I'd care to admit, you read them and you're like, wow, did Jesus really say that? Well, it's a, you know, Jesus said some remarkable things, and we need to pray that the Holy Spirit would open our eyes to see the totality, the the wonder of who Christ is, and taking all of that, all the scriptures, for they ultimately all point to him, and then we pray that we would abide in the truth of that. Find, that is to say that we would find rest in the truth of who Jesus is, find our identity in the wholeness of who Christ is, allowing the truth of his word to define and rule over the other sources of authority that we would look to in our lives as to how we are going to live day by day. In that, Jesus says, it's a promise, in that, in embracing Jesus and all he's done for us in our lives, in that we are free. And I'm just praying today that verse 36 can become a life verse for many, many people today. Kirsten, for you, where are you? I've lost you. There you are, Kirsten. Verse 36, make this one of your awesome life verses as well as Matthew chapter 11 and the other passage that you read as well. Because listen to what Jesus says. 
So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I love lots of things about this verse, but one of the things is I love the now and not yet aspect, reality of this. When Jesus sets you free from sin and death, when he brings you to newness of life in him, that is an objective reality that we live under. One for us, not when we believe that it is true, but one for us at the cross and the empty grave of Jesus Christ. And when we embrace that victory, we are free in Jesus. Romans 8 verses 1 and 2, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. This is objective reality for anyone who would come to Jesus today. But look at verse 36 again, because it doesn't say, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Now that's true. There's so many passages of the Bible, not least Romans 8, 1 and 2 that we can look to, but it says, those who, where is it? Verse 36, I don't want to get it wrong. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And for me, there is just something beautifully pastoral and powerful in the way that Jesus says this here today. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Dear friend, brother, sister who is struggling with that reality, believe that today. Believe this truth. Those who know that they are alive in Jesus but are struggling to live in and to feel and embrace that freedom, you will be free indeed. Not because you're going to sort things out, but because Jesus has sorted things out. He is not going to leave his work unfinished, just like we've already prayed over and celebrated over Kirsten's life and Dan's prayer. So we hear this glorious, hope-filled declaration of Jesus, and it gives us the strength we need to face the daily battles of unbelief and struggle and hardship and disappointment that come before every single one of us. We, we, we hear Jesus' words, those who the Son sets free will be free indeed, and we, we can have confidence to read Galatians 5.1 with fresh faith and hope. It says this, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So know this, those who Jesus sets free and any who come to embrace him and his word will be free indeed. And the scripture's encouragement to us is live in light of that freedom. Live in light of what God is doing now and what God will carry on to completion on his day. John Piper once said, freedom is doing whatever you want and not regretting it in a thousand years. I love that. That's what life in Jesus is living freely, aligned with God's word and God's ways. And in that, as we do that, knowing the joy of tasting a little bit of what it will be like on that blessed day when temptation to sin and that tendency to stumble will be gone forever and ever. Come to him today and know freedom. He can set you 
free because look at what he's like in this passage. We don't have time to dive deep into this, but in these verses, I just need to allude to it, Jesus has this amazing back and forth with these Jewish people. They cannot believe the claims that he's making about himself. If you have your passage, just let your eyes cast over a few of these verses, these claims that Jesus makes of his incredible relationship with God the Father. Example, verse 38, of how he hears direct from God, verse 40, how he came directly from God, verse 42, how he spoke the very words of God, verse 47, how he is to be glorified by God, verse 50 and 54, how he gives the life that comes from God alone, verse 51. And even then at the pinnacle of the passage, Jesus makes clear that he himself is God. After this back and forth that he has with them about Abraham, Jesus says this, verse 57, so the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. This is who we're dealing with here. This is who has the power to set us free. Not just any man, not even any great man, teacher, healer, philosopher, miracle worker, but God himself. This is Jesus' very snappy, powerful way of saying who he is. He's been alluding to it a number of times in John chapter 8 already. He said, I am a couple of times, but here there is no doubt what Jesus is getting after. Do you remember Moses in Exodus chapter 3, speaking to God in the burning bush. And he says, hey, when you send me to these Egyptians, who should I say sent me? And God says, I am who I am. Tell them I am has sent you. Or think of Isaiah 43, where God says, I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. Nine times in that chapter, in Isaiah 43, this little phrase, I am. And this is God making clear in Isaiah 43, there's, there's, no, there's nothing before me, there's nothing after me. I am the most fundamental reality in this universe. And here in John chapter 8, Jesus is saying, you think it's a big deal that I know who Abraham is? Before Abraham was, I am. Not just I existed in some mystical, eternal way, but I am God. I am God. This, friends, is the God, is the Savior who sets us free, who can set us free from our slavery to sin today. And you guys know I love Bishop J.C. Ryle, not just because he's the bishop of Liverpool, or he was in the 19th century. Um, we're going to move on from speaking about Liverpool because they're not doing so well at the moment. But um, I've got these commentaries on, he, he's got commentaries on all of the Gospels. And let me just read to you um, his words on, on this passage. Without controversy, these remarkable words are a great deep. They contain things which we have no eyes to see through or mind to fathom. But if language means anything, they teach us that our Lord Jesus Christ existed long before he came into the world. Before the days of Abraham, he was. Before man was created, he was. In short, they teach us that the Lord Jesus was no mere man like Moses or David. He was one whose going forth, goings forth were from everlasting, the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
very and eternal God. Deep as these words are, they are full of practical comfort. They show us the length and breadth and depth and height of that great foundation on which sinners are invited to rest their souls. He to whom the gospel bids us come with our sins and believe for pardon and peace is no mere man. He is nothing less than very God and therefore able to save to the uttermost all who come to him. Then let us begin coming to him with confidence. Let us continue leaning on him without fear. The Lord Jesus Christ is the true God and our eternal life is secure. The problem of sin is not a perma-crisis. It's been defeated once and for all by Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. I have to say, for those who reject Jesus Christ, the word perma-crisis doesn't come close. Jesus has already said in John 3, 38, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So today, don't let that be the case. Don't live under that wrath of God. Live under the freedom that is yours in Jesus Christ. Believe in Jesus. Believe in who he is and all that he has said he is and what he did. Know the truth and the truth will set you free because, dear friend, if Jesus, the Son, sets you free, you will be free indeed. Let's pray. Father, we don't want this week to just go on stumbling and tripping up and struggling with the issues of sin in our life. We know we're not perfect. We know we wrong others. We wrong ourselves in the way that you have planned for us to be. And in all of that, we are shaking our fist at you. We're pushing you away. And God, we don't want to do that. We know that you have created us for a wonderful life of freedom in you, in relationship with you, pursuing the good things that you have for this world. And Lord, we just recognize that there are times when we just feel hemmed in caught up in patterns and thoughts of sin that do not honor you. And God, we just ask for your help. Thank you that for anyone who has come to Jesus, they are free in him. And Lord, I thank you that those who the Son sets free will be free indeed. Lord, let faith and hope rise up today in the hearts of those who are struggling to believe that that's true. Holy Spirit, Bring reassurance and confidence in the gospel today, I pray. And Lord, for any who maybe aren't sure if they know you yet, I pray that they would see that you are the hope of the world, very God who came to us to provide that freedom that we long for. Help us come to you today as Kirsten has. We celebrate what you've done in her life, God. 
May many, many others come and turn to you and embrace you, all that you are, and walk forward in newness of life, freedom, for now and forevermore. In Jesus' name.